How do you deal with a drama queen when they are a close friend? How do you know it is someone being a drama queen and not you being sensitive? Our question this episode: How can we maintain friendships with the dramatic people in our lives? Welcome to episode fifty of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo, and I am thrilled that you have joined me, especially because this is a milestone episode of number fifty. So thank you so much for going on this journey with me and sharing the podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you want to help me celebrate. Please consider leaving a rating or review on whatever platform you access this podcast from. It helps others to find the show, and it gives them an idea of what to expect. It also helps me to know that I'm not just talking into a vacuum, <laughs> and a little bit of feedback is always useful. So,、uh, what you like about the show, what you'd like to see different, you know, anything like that, you can either post that review online, or please send me an email at beth at howcanisaythis.com, and I'll do my best. To reply and take your comments into consideration, leaving that review or sending me an email only takes about two minutes, but it makes all the difference. Information about how to leave reviews on various podcast services is on the website at howcanisaythis.com. This particular episode is focused on a listener question submitted through the website, and because there's a lot to cover, let's get right to it. You've already heard a portion of this in the introduction. An anonymous listener writes: How do you deal with a drama queen when they are a close friend? How do you know it is someone being a drama queen and not you being sensitive? How do you determine which situations are valid and deserve to be addressed? And then how do you address it? I don't want to feed the drama. I want to dispose of it. As an introvert, my instinct is to ignore someone who is clearly fishing for attention. But extroverts need attention, so where is the balance? I find myself wavering between showing support, which means I miss out on pointing out when she's overdoing it, and shutting it down, which comes across as judgmental and uncaring. Now, most of us have probably had someone like the listener describes in our social or professional circles, or even in our family. And even if we don't self-identify with the label drama queen, most of us have probably even been that person at some point in our lives. But acting out because of a specific circumstance, for instance, you know, you're experiencing high stress related to a major life event like moving or a new job or、um, marriage or divorce, that's different. Than acting out when someone forgets to change the toner in the copier at work, or other little minor things that usually we learn how to、uh, cope with without having a dramatic reaction. We can usually navigate the short-term situational drama, knowing that it will blow over and the person will return to normal, or that we will return to normal. But what if, like the listener, you're caught in the web of someone who's all drama all the time? I have a series of thoughts on this that I hope will be useful for the listener and anyone else who has a dramatic personality in their life. I'm going to focus on what the listener can control, rather than trying to make suggestions that will change the friend. Part of that's because I just don't have enough information, and I'm also just like the listener. We're not mind readers, and so I can't really crawl into the brain of the dramatic friend to find out what's going on. But 
the listener sounds like they have a high level of self awareness and can.、Um, You know, approach this in a way that says, "Okay, what is within my control? What can I change?" The first thing I want to share is a suggestion: release the label of drama queen. I know that if you Google it, it's everywhere, and as a shorthand to describe someone's behavior, it really does a good job. But it casts that person in a Inherently negative role, and it can also become shorthand for the entirety of that person. Remember, there's that quote: "Of course, I contradict myself. I contain multitudes." And I want to say that's Ralph Waldo Emerson, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But the point is, I contain multitudes. I am not just one thing, and certainly I'm not just that one thing that outwardly manifests itself. So. Beware of assigning a label to someone that can become representative of that entire person. They might be dramatic, like ninety percent of the time, but labeling them a drama queen can be an obstacle for the friend, in this case, for the listener, to see them as a human being that is perhaps suffering in some way. In my own quick research, there are actually clinical diagnoses that could possibly be at fault, whether that's narcissism, borderline personality disorder, or histrionic personality disorder. I recommend not playing armchair psychologist, though, and I'm I'm not going to do it, and I invite you not to do it,、um, and trade you know try to trade one label for another without some sort of professional input. The point is to recognize that on some level, they might not be able to help themselves, at least not without therapy or professional intervention. Regardless of whether there's a clinical reason for it or not, you still have to navigate their drama on a daily basis. And if you step back and see them instead as a person in pain, that shift would be to describe them as someone who seems to thrive on crisis or who has a strong dramatic streak. If there's not a diagnosable psychological reason for their drama, think about why any of us would end up. Overreacting to situations and sucking all of the energy out of a room, we might feel a loss of control. Maybe our sense of order or authority is threatened, or at least perceived to be threatened. We feel like we're not being seen or heard. Or it could be that someone has just had a really horrible day, and we happen to catch them at their worst moment. And that's why I invite us, and that includes me, because I can fall victim to this too, to release the labels that place limits on who someone is. In the spirit of avoiding that label myself, in my response in this episode, I'm going to instead refer to the listener's friend as being crisis-oriented. It's not a perfect descriptor, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend that it is, but it does at least serve our purposes, and it neutralizes it just a little bit. And now I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I am going to offer a label, or maybe you could call it a role for the listener that they might want to consider, and that's rescuer. A crisis-oriented person loves to pull us into their story and make us a character in their drama. For those of us that are in their orbit, on some level, even though we say it stresses us out, that can feel good. It can make us feel important. Um, we feel needed, and on some level, it feeds our ego. That crisis-oriented person will make you think that the situation is about you 
too. They pull you into it. But in reality, it's all about them. It's about their needs, their ego, their need to be heard and feel important. Part of the challenge is that with crisis orientation can come charisma. That person can be actually, you know, when they're feeling um, healthy, they might be really fun to be around. They might be um, funny or lively or talkative or, you know, have characteristics that we wish we had. And so we admire that in them. And so because we see them as also perhaps a charismatic person, it's hard to say no when they come to us with their drama, and they want us to be part of it. And when we don't say no, we become enablers, and we become rescuers. So depending on how firmly we have established boundaries with that person, we will either let them play out what's going on, or if we have no boundaries, we tend to come to their rescue. We feel like we have no choice, because if we don't do it, nobody else will, and that person will spiral out of control, and then we will feel guilty, and so it becomes an obligation, and again, we're, we end up being that, you know, coming to their rescue. And this brings me to a truth that I find myself sharing with clients all the time and that I have to remind myself. We teach others how to treat us. We have much more choice than we think we do about how people are with us. And so what does that mean that we teach others how to treat us? It means that if we don't establish boundaries, they will violate them because they don't know what they are. If we don't share expectations, they will violate them because they don't know when they are not met. And if we always come to their rescue, they'll expect us to always be there. If every time the crisis-oriented person says, I need you, and we say, yes, I'm there, we, I drop everything, what can I do? We're teaching that person that we are always at their disposal 24-7, no questions asked. So consider... What are you teaching your friend about how to treat you? What are you teaching your friend through your responses to their drama about what kind of friendship that you want to have with them? And this is something that we learn in coach training. And it's something I, I thought, you know, even if I took my coach training and never coached a day in my life, it would have been totally worth the investment of time and energy and money because I learned how not to rescue other people. And that comes down to three words that are foundational to the coaching relationship. And that is we hold other people whole, capable, resourceful. We can't fix someone, we can't save them, and we can't take care of them. It is not our responsibility. I say that and that can sound harsh. And I actually wrote a post that uh, I shared on LinkedIn that ended up getting a lot of views, like more than half a million views, and I think more than a thousand comments. And um, some people understood and resonated with that concept. Others were got very defensive about it and said, but, you know, that's really harsh. That Don't you care? You know, um, if somebody's your friend, if somebody's your spouse, you're supposed to drop everything and support them. You're supposed to just be there for them. What I want to clarify is that 
holding someone whole, capable, and resourceful does not mean that we're not compassionate or supportive or empathetic to whatever the challenge is that they're facing. It just means that we don't take on responsibility for their lives and their choices. It means that I respect that person enough to believe that they can come to their own conclusions. If I hold them whole, that means that I don't see them as someone who is broken and needs to be fixed. If I hold them as capable, that means that I trust that they have life experience and intelligence enough to pull together and look for the resources that they need to resolve their problem. And that's the same for resourceful. I trust that they can gather the information they need, gather the people they need in order to um, resolve the problem that they're having. That means it doesn't have to be me. I don't have to fill everything for that person. I'm holding them with respect when I say that they're whole, capable, and resourceful. When I'm with someone and they're in crisis of some kind or they are being dramatic um, or having a dramatic reaction, if I'm coming from a whole, capable, resourceful perspective, I'm listening and I'm calm and I'm asking them questions. I'm not feeding into the drama. Some of the questions might be, what are your options? What would make this easier for you? What are you going to do? Notice that that last one, what are you going to do, is very different from how can I help you? Sometimes if someone is honestly helpless in some way, and I invite you not even to think of them as helpless, but rather someone would benefit from your assistance, asking what are you going to do puts the responsibility on them. When you say, how can I help you? That's just inviting them to then dump all of the responsibility on you, potentially. And I'm especially talking about this kind of crisis-oriented, drama-loving person. You might be able to say, how can I help you with someone who has healthy boundaries, who has um, reactions to things that are proportional responses to the situation? And when you're dealing with someone who is having disproportionate responses, unreasonable responses, attempting to remind them that they are responsible for their responses and their reaction. I mean, that's what responsible is, response able, that they're responsible for it. Then you can support them from that place and perhaps extract yourself at least a little bit from playing that role of rescuer and enabler. Whatever questions you decide to ask them, if you decide to ask questions, keep the focus on them, just like the, you know, what are you going to do as opposed to how can I help you? And avoid why as a question start. This is another trick that I learned in coaching. Stick with questions that start with what or how. When we ask someone why, like, why are you acting this way? Why did you want to do that? Why won't you listen to me? Even as I say those things, it's hard to say them without some sort of tone in my voice. And what happens is we respond to why often with defensiveness, like we're, we're accusing someone or we are putting them on the spot or they're making them defend their position or their feelings or their response. That might not be at all what you mean. 
again, you know, human nature, and especially if someone does have that drama orientation, they might see why as a challenge, a challenge that says, um, you know, you shouldn't be having this reaction. That might be true. <laughs> you might really hope that they realize that they are overreacting. And that would just be like throwing gasoline on a fire. It's just going to inflame the situation. It's better to start out and to try to reframe your question that starts with what or how. So what's going on right now with you? Or how can this be um, made better for you? Instead of why can't you just fix it? You know, all of those thoughts are if you decide that you want to engage. Another strategy is to not engage at all. Don't ask open-ended questions. Just listen and perhaps offer an acknowledgement of something that says, like, that sounds rough or that's a bummer. Don't feed the beast by offering more than that. Try not to encourage them to keep talking. Just calmly acknowledge their drama with an observation and then just try to let it go, you know, detach a little bit. That might not stop the cycle, but it could shorten it. And at the very least, it's, it has the potential to take less of an emotional toll on you. The listener in their question shared their instinct to ig ignore the friend. And that might sound harsh, but it's actually a strategy that I would suggest you consider. Attention just keeps the drama energy going. And if you let it be known through your silence and lack of engagement that you're just not interested, they might get the hint. Now, they might not like it. They might get angry and stomp out or cry or lash out at you for ignoring them. But you have to start somewhere. You have to start drawing that line in the sand. So weather that storm as best you can. And if it's easy to do, just say, you know, sorry, I really need to finish this, whatever this is. And I hope there's someone that you can call that can, you know, support you with this. Or you could say, let me know if you want to talk about this later when I have more time to really listen. And then physically leave the room. It might feel harsh. It might feel direct. And it might be one of the only ways that you can start to draw that boundary and extract yourself from the drama. Part of practicing this philosophy of holding someone else whole, capable, and resourceful is that you can give yourself permission to just listen and not feel pressure to respond or to rescue. Just listen, acknowledge their feelings, and be quiet. Do your best to remain calm in that moment and remember to breathe. Breathing is such a, a powerful and simple technique to bring yourself back to center, to get yourself regrounded, to remind yourself for just a split second, like, this is not about me, this is about them, and this is their responsibility. You could even imagine that you have an invisible shield of light or armor or whatever works for you, and that with every word they say, it just bounces off of you. Now, if you're an empathetic person who tends to absorb other people's emotions, this might be challenging, but it's all the more reason to do it, you know, to take care of yourself so that you don't become completely drained by every interaction. I mentioned before that boundaries are important. If you haven't established boundaries and you value the friendship, now is the time to do it. 
there are all sorts of different conversations you could have about boundaries. Um, one of them might be have a conversation about how you like to interact. You know, for instance, because I'm guessing that the drama interrupts you on a regular basis. So have that honest conversation and, you know, think about can they text you? Would you prefer a phone call? Can they drop by? And I would say, since the listener's an introvert and I'm an introvert, I would say, mm, probably not. Um, but anyway, can, can they just drop by? Email? Do you want them to schedule coffee with you? Explain that you're trying to make sure that you have the time and energy to respond and be there for them, and that this is the best way to do that. Friendships, you know, normal sort of healthy friendships often naturally establish these patterns. In my life, there are some people that I text, others that I call, some that I email, and we tend to fall into a rhythm without actually intentionally talking about it. But what the listener describes isn't really a typical friendship, so an explicit conversation might be extremely useful. It might include things like, if I'm working, it's hard for me to stop what I'm doing and give you my attention. I'm likely not to be available when I'm busy working. Or, it's helpful for me if we can just catch up once a week for coffee rather than having random check-ins during the week. You know, don't get me wrong. I want to hear from you if there's something really important. And things are so intense right now for me that I'll be at my best if we can make a scheduled date whenever possible. That sends a message that you want to be there for them, but not 24-7 or only at their convenience. Remember, we teach others how to treat us. If you drop everything, you're teaching them that you'll drop everything. That might be okay a time or two for legitimate emergencies, but it can get old really fast and resentment and anger will not be far behind. Here are a few other thoughts. Assume best intent. I know that probably sounds crazy. It doesn't mean that you don't get frustrated or stand up for yourself or express your feelings. It just means that you're not assuming the other person is trying to be manipulative or difficult or crazy. It softens your stance a little bit so that you can protect your energy better and shift to being curious about what's really underneath the histrionics. It also reminds you that that person is your friend, someone that you've chosen to have in your life, and as such, you want to believe that they're not intentionally trying to stress you out or cause you harm. Part of my research, um, I came across an article by Dr. Judith Orloff, and she's written about crisis-oriented people, and one of the sentences really stood out to me as relevant in this case. She wrote that, as a psychiatrist, I've observed that a drama queen's parents often equated concocted, quote-unquote, disaster with intimacy. Assuming best intent might include the idea that for the person acting out and trying to pull you into it, they might think that they're paying you a compliment. You know, they're trusting you with their strong emotions. And they might even think, well, that's what friends are for. As I say that, I'm not saying that that's okay and that you should just accept it. But again, it offers another lens through which to look at their behavior. It helps you to see underneath the drama to say, okay, what, what is behind all of this? What is, what is this person afraid of? Um, what kinds of messages might have they gotten in the past that aren't serving them anymore? But if they keep doing it and you keep 
helping them, you know, enabling and rescuing them, then it is still serving them. They're not learning that those behaviors are not appropriate or acceptable. They're just learning that if I act out this way, I get what I want. And so at some point, we have to turn off the tap. (laughs) We have to say, you act this way, I'm not going to give you what you want. Because I can see from my perspective that that's just not healthy. Again, you know, you can only go so far with this. And I'm not suggesting that if someone is truly in pain and really needing help, that you turn a blind eye to that or tell them to fix it yourself. You know, I am, I really hope that everyone listening hears that that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that sometimes what feels harsh to us might be exactly what that person needs to hear to help raise their self-awareness for how they're affecting other people. They're not noticing that they're affecting you adversely. They might think again that that you should be flattered, that you are part of that circle that they rely on and trust. And somehow there needs to be a conversation or an indication that that is not your definition of friendship. That's not your definition of intimacy and that you need something different. And to be able to have that honest conversation might be just what can save that friendship. And that brings me to a final thought for the listener and anyone else who identifies with that question. Ask yourself, why are you friends? Why is this person in your life? Is it out of habit, obligation, necessity, because you want to avoid a confrontation or breaking up is hard to do? Or is it out of love caring? Do you have a long history and you sincerely want this person in your life? Do you have some sort of deep resonance with them that transcends the drama? If it's all about love, then what do you love about them? What are you willing to accept about their behavior because you love them and because you know that they're doing the best they can? You're assuming that best intent and you believe that it is best intent. On the other hand, what are you not willing to accept? You can love someone and still say, I love you, and this is not acceptable, and it needs to change if we're going to stay friends. If your friendship exists because of habit or obligation, or because it just stinks to have to end a relationship, then that's another story. A helpful frame for me was when my husband introduced me to the idea that relationships exist for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Your friend might not be a lifetime friend, and that's okay. We need all types. We will have all types of friends and relationships in the course of our lives. And we especially need the friends that are in our lives for a reason or for a season. So it might be helpful to identify which category this person is in and be grateful for whatever gifts they have brought to you. And then if it feels right, if you feel like the reason or the season has come to a close, Be willing to let them go. To touch on my point about change, it's possible that they won't be able to do it on their own. You could, in the spirit of friendship and caring for them, ask gently if they've ever considered seeing a counselor or a therapist. I've done that with my friends, and um, because we have 
trust and mutual respect, and we know that it's coming from a place of love, it's always well-received. And often the answer is, well, I used to, or yes, I'm thinking about it, or I'm glad you said that. I've never had anyone get offended or defensive when I've asked that. And I've even asked it of clients before. Uh, And that's actually part of the coaching agreement, is that if something feels like it's outside the scope of what we can address in the coaching relationship, then I need to be able to say that without someone taking it personally. So I hope that in the friendship, you're also able to do the same. One article I found had a really good suggestion, and they said that maybe you could frame that suggestion of getting counseling or therapy as that person getting support for stress management. Because even if they're not very self-aware, it's probably safe to say that they do know that they're experiencing stress. They probably thrive on stress, hence the crisis orientation, so this may not immediately appeal to them. But it is worth a try. It's at least a foot in the door. And often, if you know, we've all probably experienced anyone who's been in therapy that you go in for one thing, like I'm feeling stress, and then you find out it's something else and you start going deeper. Um, so stress management is a socially acceptable reason to go to a therapist. And so if you feel like that's important to frame it that way, then I would say go for it. And if you know, if you don't think that that would appeal, maybe you have a better way of putting it that will tap into something personal that you know about them and that would motivate them. I say all of this And it's easy for me to talk about it because it's not me. It's not me in the room with that friend. So I recognize and offer that all of this is a risk. It's a risk to the friendship. It's a risk to our egos. It's a risk to a relationship that means something to us. And often it's, you know, if you are feeling that level of stress, it's a risk worth taking. You're not just doing it for you, but you're also doing it for your friend. You're doing it for that friend's other friends, for their family members. It's like you're doing everyone a favor. And I don't mean that to be like, you know, it's a condescending or egotistical kind of favor, but just, you know, someone has to call it out. Someone needs to bring some accountability to this person, because it sounds like they need to grow up (laughs) on some level. And that impacts their ability to have intimate relationships and jobs and um, friendships and, you know, just generally function in society. So I'd invite you to consider, you know, that it's probably worth taking the risk. And my call to action for you and for anyone listening who finds themselves in a friendship or relationship that's causing stress is to do a reflection, a simple cost-benefit analysis. What's the cost of maintaining this friendship? What's the emotional cost? What's the spiritual cost? What's the psychological cost? What's the actual real cost, you know, perhaps? It could be costing you something um, if they are manipulating you in some financial way. Um, But really, I'm mostly talking about emotional cost. And then what's the benefit? What do you get out of that friendship? And which is greater, the cost or the benefit? And once you've looked at that, what do you want to do with that information? 
My thoughts are all speculation based on my own experiences and that of my clients and friends. So I hope that there's been something in there that's useful to you. And I've included links to a few articles about this topic, as well as a couple of other posts I've done over the years that I think directly apply. Um, one of them is called, is that one post about whole capable and resourceful called Three Little Words That Will Change Your Life Forever. And the other is titled Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye. And that one talks about the relationships we have for a reason, a season, or lifetime. So you will find links to both of those posts, as well as to some other resources on the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com. If, like the listener, you have your own interpersonal communication question that you'd like to receive a response to on this podcast, you can go online to howcanisaythis.com and click on Submit a Question. It's really easy. There are multiple ways to do it. You can totally be anonymous, and it's a great gift to give yourself and everyone else listening. Because the thing is about questions, if one person has the question, lots of other people probably have the same question too. You should also know that I offer facilitation and interpersonal communications coaching services. If you want to learn more, send me a quick email at beth at howcanisaythis.com. You can also contact me through the contact form on the website. Getting in touch with me does not obligate you to anything. It just gets us connected so we can have a conversation about what you're looking for and if we're a good fit for one another. So please, I invite you to be in touch if I can be of service. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you to the anonymous listener who submitted the question. And I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.